Welcome to Ag Vic Talk, keeping you up to date with information from Agriculture Victoria. Climate variability is an issue for all producers. But when you produce something daily, like milk, it becomes a very big focus of your planning. Kevin Fitzsimmons is a dairy farmer from Merrigan in the Northern Irrigation Region. His family has farmed there for three generations. But he says since the millennium drought, running profitably has never been more difficult. He joins me in the AgVic Talk studio to discuss how he manages climate variability. Kevin, thanks for your time. My pleasure, Drew. Thank you very much. Kevin, you face challenges like never before. Once you're a farmer, now you're a water trader, constantly focused on the market. On top of that, you've got a variable climate as well to deal with. Are you still passionate about what you do? Yeah, look, I, I am passionate about it. I actually really love what I do. We have not been on a holiday for three years, but I don't feel like I need to go on a holiday. I get up every morning, you know, four o'clock, seven days a week because I love what I do. To me, I feel like I'm in paradise. And when I say that to people, they sort of look at me a bit strange, but uh, maybe it's just because it's what I've always done. It's what I know, and I don't know any different, I guess. Although I have worked off farm years and years ago, but I really genuinely love what I do. I love my cows, and I like to look after them as best I can. And it it is hard when, you know, you've got to make those decisions. Um, Well, we've never, never let the cows go without, so I've never had, had hungry cows. We've always... Bought, gone and bought the feed or bought the water or done things to, to feed them, look after them. So, um, yeah, it's just, just what I love to do. Kevin, for those that don't work in the industry, they'd probably think that because you're on irrigated land, you wouldn't have to worry too much about climate variation. Understand, though, that's a fair way from reality. Yeah, it is. Basically, we have our water allocation, but we really need double the amount of water that we need to farm profitably. So we've got to go into the temporary market and buy that water. At a certain point, that water becomes too expensive to make a profit out of. So we've then got to obviously either buy grain or hay, and those costs have been high as well, but get a better return out of that than the price of water. I mean, one megalitre will roughly grow you a tonne of feed, and at five, $600 a megalitre is too high, and when you can buy grain, you know, around 400 or hay at 350 a ton, dollars a ton, that represents a better value. It's still not economical, but um, to try and get through as best we can, that's that's how we've dealt with it. And going forward, hopefully, um, water price will come down. But with the water market, water prices seem to be continually high, and that, that's a concern going forward. So unless we have a wet year, but that that's that the next year it could be dry again and then all of a sudden it's back up again. So, Kevin, for those that don't have insight as to how a property like yours works, you're not just watering pastures to keep them green to graze cows on, are you? You're actually growing fodder and stocking it away. Yeah, well, we are, and we've actually changed the composition of what we grow. Um, we don't grow as much pasture now because of the, the cost of water, um, cost of putting it on, in the summertime when there's so much evaporation and productivity drops off as far as growth rates go it's just not economic to put it on so we're probably changing to more crops and growing more annuals which is shaftle and ryegrass things like that which we water in the autumn so we've got feed through winter and probably takes two maybe three waterings in the autumn 
and then it might another couple of waterings in the springtime to, uh, to finish off depending on whether we get spring rain. So that could be a maximum of six waterings on those annual pastures where as summer pasture it could be anything between 15 to 20 irrigations and you don't get it that much more tonnage of feed. So uh, things have changed because of the water situation of how we operate and we adjust our numbers as to what we can feed and cost obviously that drives either profit or reducing the, the loss that you're going to make that year. So what other things are you doing, Kevin, to juggle the cost of water against what the climate's actually doing? Because you're looking to the skies to bring you cheaper water, for want of a better description. What are you implementing on your property to deal better with variation in climate and access to water? Well, what we've just done in the last four or five months, we've installed a pipe and riser system. So that eliminates, well, evaporation, seepage, so all our water is now piped around the farm and that was put in place obviously with the rationalisation of the irrigation system and the modernisation. We've got rid of open channels, Golden Murray Water have uh, rationalised some channels on our, on our farm and they gain the water savings so there's a saving there and they were able to incentivise us I guess to put in a pipe and riser system. We had to put in a, some cash ourselves but in the long run obviously that's increased our efficiency. We haven't actually used it yet. The system will start operating again 15th of August is, is when the system opens up again, the irrigation season. But yeah, the the results are, and I have actually used, we had a recycle system and I needed to move water from one end to the other that so we were going to run out of water at the dairy and uh, we were able to run water from one dam to another that had water in it so they had water at the dairy so it's, which I could never ever do before so um, it's worked really well that way and obviously I can water paddocks more efficiently I can get the water on quicker I've got higher flow rates and I can um, and the water will come on instantaneously on those paddocks whereas before I'd probably have to wait three or four hours for the channel to fill up before I can get water onto those paddocks so that's where we're heading now and uh, the water savings on that well, we haven't monitored that yet, but uh, on other sites that have had them in, the, yeah, the water savings there have been quite quite impressive. So we're hopeful that that's um, going to make us more efficient, more profitable going forward. And obviously the next generation, the generations after, we can keep staying here. I get the impression, Kevin, that a reasonable chunk of your work involves debt management and also borderline being a water trader. Yeah, yeah, you're dead right. It's definitely been since the millennium drought about debt management. I suppose um, prior to 2000, um, things just ticked over from one year to the next and it was pretty easy. But uh, it has been about managing that debt and trying to find... Every year has been different, I guess, because um, our biggest inputs, obviously, are grain, hay and water. And we look at those each year and try to manage that and see what the seasons are going to do. We obviously monitor what the Bureau are forecasting and, and if they're forecasting like they have in the past, El Nino's, we know water prices are going to be dear, so we try and lock in our hay early so that we've got that there so we're not exposed to the water market. So we're always looking probably six months in advance to seeing what we can plan, how we can get through for that next six months. And that's how we're managing it. it. It is a juggling act and has been for quite a few years. So we'll just see how, how it all pans out now that we've modernised our operation here. And, you know, we're also leasing land so we can grow, be more self-sufficient and grow more feed. And we do all our own hay. 
So we're trying to be as self-sufficient as we can and not being exposed to those markets where prices can just crucify you, really, I guess. I understand also that you've changed your watering regimes to try and get different root growth with your pasture. What did you do and, and what have you achieved? I guess we always have topped in the past and that keeps the plant at a certain height. Last year, because we knew we were going to run out of water because we are putting the pipe and riser in, we didn't top. Basically what happens on top of the ground happens below the ground. But we made the decision that we're going to have a compromise and have a bit more growth on top and a higher residual that will keep the moisture high you're not going to get the evaporation so you, it stretched out our watering and also the roots obviously are forced to go down to chase that moisture as well and that worked pretty well obviously when we put the pipe and rise and we weren't able to irrigate and the whole farm went dry and um, we bought a heap of feed back last spring because we knew that was going to happen but in the past, that is what we've done. Yeah, we've tried to keep that residual a lot higher than what is normal in um, normal happens. So, yeah, it's a lot of experimenting, I guess, and trying to work out, as I said, things change from season to season. And, and as I said, we look six months ahead and try and forecast and see what's going to happen for that season, and then we'll make our plan accordingly. Kevin, what other things have you done in terms of changing infrastructure to try and deal with hot weather and also on the rare occasion, excessive rain? In 2016, we had a very wet year, which we hadn't experienced for a while, and we sacrificed paddocks and we just had hay rings in paddocks and we wasted a lot of feed. And uh, I said, I'm not doing that again. We had an area where we built a recycle dam and there was a bank of dirt there and it was built up but it hadn't been graveled or anything, probably a hectare in size. So we, we end up graveling all of that, about six inches of gravel over it, and we put hay rings set up on that. The cows will come off the dairy and they'll go straight onto the pad and get feed off there. And it's just made things more efficient. And even when we have had a wet period, they've gone on there. There's minimal damage to the paddocks then. They're not getting pugged up. We can grow better quality feed on those paddocks that aren't out of production because they've been wrecked and ruining the soil structure. So that's been a big saving there, and we're not obviously not wasting the feed either. As far as, uh, yeah, we put shade cloth on the dairy. We used to have a lot of problems, obviously, here in the Golden Valley, and, and in Australia in particular, I guess. You know, we, we're exposed to the sun. We used to have a lot of cows, that, I'm going to say a lot, probably one or two every few years that would go down with, um, yeah, gets severe sunburn. So, uh, yeah, we put that on there, the, the cows come into the dairy even on really hot days and it creates its own breeze under the shade cloth. The temperature is so much cooler and the cows come in there and they're, they're not panting or anything like that, they're calm. So and that's made a huge difference as well. We're always looking for what's best for the cow, how she can be as comfortable as she can and also it's, it's a workplace thing as well. So they're things we've implemented and yeah, quite happy with how that's worked out. Kevin, you've got a lot going on in terms of running your dairy, trading water, and growing fodder. What are you doing in terms of carving? Have you done anything there to try and even out the workflow across the year? Yes, we have actually. Um, when my parents were running it, we were just a spring carving herd. When I took over, probably 30 years ago now, we went to spring and autumn, and we have probably the last 15 years ago, we actually went to three times a year carving. So every four months, we carve and a lot of that came about, I guess, through fertility. 
of cows. Initially with spring calving, if you didn't get a cow and calf, she had to be a really good cow to milk through for another 12 months. Otherwise she would lose that cow, um, just you know, send it to the abattoirs. And um, to me that wasn't profitable. So that's why we went to going to autumn calving. So it was a six month interval calving. Obviously the same problem, the cow had to be good enough to carry through for another six months to get back in calf again for the next cycle. And the industry is addressing that fertility now through um, selecting for high fertility bulls. And we've been on that program now for the last three years. And that has made a big difference as well to getting cows and calf. We have a short calving period of six weeks at each joining. Uh, whereas in the past, in the springtime calving, we'd calf for, you know, join for three months. So you'd be calving for three months. So it was a long drawn out affair. So by going to three times a year calving and having shorter calving intervals. It is even the work laid out because you're not going flat out at one particular point in time. So yeah, one calving will come along, we'll rear those calves and they'll be out through the system before the next one comes along. We're not overburdened with a heap of calves at one particular time. It just evens the work laid out for everybody. Kevin, you said you're always looking to the future to try and plan. What sort of tools are you using to help with that? Things like apps and websites? We do a lot with um, always looking at the forecasts and whatever information we can get through Dairy Australia. They, they put out a lot of information. There is a lot of information out there if you want to go and look for it to plan ahead. It's very good information that you can make decisions around. And at the end of the day, every farm is different, I guess, and you take out the information that you want that suits you and your operation. Obviously, we're a family farm. There's bigger operations out there as well, so which would have different structures. We're, we're trying to keep our operation as simple as we possibly can, and that suits us. It's intensive enough the way it is and enough pressure the way it is with what's happening with climate change and the Murray-Darling base and everything else. So we just try to keep that as simple as we can without complicating it too much. It sounds like you are really setting up the property to continue for the next generation and for your son to be able to stay at the helm. Yeah, well, we are. My parents set it up for us and I'm eternally grateful for them. And I want to be able to do the same for my son and have a farm that is sustainable going forward. To me, it's a legacy. We're obviously trying to make a living out of it as well and survive and be profitable and, and have a good lifestyle but we're also thinking of the next generation as the generation before we're thinking of us so yeah going forward it is a priority for us that my son has got a future in the industry and obviously his family if they decide to come back as well have a future as well so that's our goal. Kevin Fitzsimmons it sounds as though you are well and truly on the path to achieving that goal Thank you very much for taking time to join me in the AgVic Talk studio. My pleasure, Drew. Thank you very much. For more Agriculture Victoria information on dealing with climate variability, you can subscribe to both The Break and the Milking the Weather newsletters. Both of these you can find through the Agriculture Victoria website. Also, you can get in contact with your local dairy extension officer who can direct you to relevant information and advice to help you get started in understanding how your business can adapt to climate variability. Thank you for listening to Ag Vic Talk. 
For more episodes in this series, find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We would love to hear your feedback, so please leave a comment or rating and share this series with your friends and family. All information is accurate at the time of release. Contact Agriculture Victoria or your consultant before making any changes on farm. This podcast was developed by Agriculture Victoria, authorised by the Victorian Government Melbourne.